Welcome to Friendship with God. I'm David Cantor. Today we will hear part one in a series of messages on Isaiah chapter 40 from my father, Tom Cantor. Today's message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. You know, I, I, I thank you all for, uh, for caring and for me and, and uh, my sickness with cancer and all. And um, so many of you have come up to me and told me, you know, I've been praying for you. And, and I really do appreciate that. And I'm going to tell you, there's a company in uh, Stillwater, Minnesota. And the president's name, he's a man, his president's name is Carol Streetman. And the, the head of R&D there, his name is Frank Blocky. And um, they, are, they are devoted Christians. And every week, the president, Carol Streetman, has a, a Bible study in his company. There's about 400 people there. And the only person that attends is Frank Blocky. So it's a two-man Bible study. And so when they heard I had cancer, so they came, um, they flew, one from Florida, the other one from Minnesota, to come see me. And I could tell they were looking at me, you know, and, and, and they kept saying, you look so good. <laughs> and I just sat there, and, I, and after a little while, I said, you know, uh, I felt bad because, you know, they flew in from two parts of the country. And I said, I'm sorry to disappoint you. <laughs> and then I said, I hope I disappoint you for a long time. <laughs> but thank you so much. And one of the things I wanted to do when I'm here today is to, is to have us turn in our Bibles to, to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah chapter 40 is, is a pivot, one of the pivotal points in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah is so unusual because what God does here in, in chapter 1 of Isaiah is rather unusual. First of all, in verse 2, God, as only God can, summons all the heavens and the earth to listen. He says, listen, hear, hear. It's a very important word in, in Hebrew. It's the word Shema. And, and it's, well, it's, it means listen. And so when you're talking to somebody and you, say, and you're, you punctuate your conversation, now listen. It's, it's almost like a little abrupt, but it's like stop and listen. And so God says, listen, hear, O heavens, all the heavens, and give ear, O earth. He's calling on the earth to listen and the heavens to listen. And he tells a history. God tells a history here. And the history is, he says, I've nourished and I've brought up children, and they've rebelled against me. Now, I can tell you as a parent, you don't want to talk about this. You want to talk about the kids that go right. But you don't want to talk about the kids that go wrong. And God is standing up here, and he's saying to everybody, I did everything I could. I'm perfect. I'm God. And my kids went bad. And they rebelled against me. And he says, the ox knows his, his owner, the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know. My people doth not consider. You know what that's a definition of when they don't consider? That's a definition of prejudice. They're prejudiced. You know, we hire people, and there could be someone sitting in front of us. Not say us. Let's say someone sitting in front of someone uh, who's hiring, and they say, you know, you've got the perfect education, and, and you're well-suited to this job, but you've got the wrong skin color. That's prejudice. He won't consider. And that's exactly the way it is with God's children. I've experienced this, and maybe you have too. I know many of you have already, where you, you can sit there and you say, you know, I found peace. Oh, they'll say, that's wonderful. Jewish people will say, wonderful. I've got security. Wow. I've got no fear of death. Oh, I envy you. How, how did it come about? You say one word, one word, Jesus. 
and you can hear the door slam in their heart. Why? The prejudice. They will not, my, and this is what he's saying here. He said, my people doth not consider. And then he characterizes them in verse four, and he says, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children of their corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They've gone away backward. And on and on he goes. And he says in verse nine that they would have been destroyed except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. I usually don't mark in my Bible, but if there were two words that I'm very tempted to underline, it's the two words, very small. I always knew the remnant was small, just didn't realize how small it is. But it's a very small remnant. But that remnant, he says, keeps the whole nation and the whole people from becoming destroyed, like Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what it says. So, you know, this is a situation here, as I said, where, where God is just opening his heart and laying it all out that I got bad kids. In chapter 53, he'll, he'll make the solution to the problem. He'll describe the solution to the problem, which is the death of the Lord Jesus Christ himself on the cross. And then on, and when we get to the end of the, of the book of Isaiah, in chapter 66, He'll, he describes what's going to happen historically, how two parts will be destroyed in Israel and one part will, will live, and that will be a nation born in a day. But in the middle, and that's the part I want us to look at now, in chapter 40, God now makes a cry. He says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received or tasted double of the, Lord's, of the Lord's hand, double for all her sins. The voice of one that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord and make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall be made straight. And the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed in all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is as grass, and all goodliness thereof is as a flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion that bringest good tidings, get thee up into high mountain. O Jerusalem that bringeth good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. Behold, the Lord will come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arms and carry them in his bosom, and shall gently Lead those that are with young. And then if you, if you now drop down to verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over for my God? Hast thou not known? Hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary? There's no searching of his understanding. He giveth power to the faint, and to them that have no might, he increases strength. 
Even the youths, even in the youths, shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What a marvelous passage we have here. You know, it's so wonderful that God, in, he speaks to us and he includes us in what he wants to do. And for, he starts off and he says in this chapter, comfort ye, comfort ye. He says it twice in case we didn't hear it the first time. He says, comfort you. You comfort my, my people. That's the object of the comfort, my people. Who's telling us to do that? Saith your God. Saith our God. In other words, he wants us to comfort. And that's what you did. That's what you've been doing. When you bring the gospel to the Jewish people, you're comforting them. And then he says in verse 2, let me explain to you God's sake. Let me tell you how you are supposed to speak to them. How you are supposed to comfort them. He says, speak ye comfortably. In other words, gently allure them. Don't come to them and say, now your, 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 your judgment is all laid out and you're on your way to hell and there's very little chance for you to get there and, but unless you fall in your... No, he says, speak comfortably. Speak soothingly to them. Speak like Joseph spoke to his brothers when they were so frightened of him. And, he sa- and it says, and he spoke, comfort- he spoke kindly to them to put down their fears. He says, speak comfortably. And what do we say to the Jewish people? We say to them, the war's over. We go astray speaking lies and we, we have a, our own personal warfare against God until we're saved. And what happens when we're saved is we realize that there was a time when the warfare was, got over. That was at the cross. You remember that story about that Japanese man during World War II and he was in the, in the Philippine jungles there and, and he didn't know that there was a Missouri, USS Missouri, and he didn't know that there was a Hirohito and that there was a General MacArthur who sat down on a table there and signed and the war was over. And he continued with his war there in the jungle there in the Philippines until it went on for, I think, 40 years. He was polishing up his rusty carbine and eating snakes and whatever he could find in there and water and so forth until they finally got some big loudspeakers out there and they said the, in Japanese, the war is over. And then he came out, the war is over. That that's the message that we bring. There was not, it wasn't a USS Missouri, it was a Golgotha's Hill, it was a Calvary. But there on the cross, the war, the, 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 the peace treaty got signed. Righteousness and peace kissed each other at that cross. And that was the end of the war. And so this is the message. The message is, tell my people comfortably with tenderness that the warfare is over and tell them that their iniquity has been pardoned, pardoned at the cross. And, it's a, and, and, then, and, then, and then we know as we come to verse 3, this is speaking about what John the Baptist is, the voice, be a voice, he's saying, of him that's in the wilderness. That, and you say, they say, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Put away that sin, that personal sin in, your, in, in, the, in the life. So that you prepare to receive the gift because the sins have been pardoned. He says, make straight a desert of the highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted. Every mountain. Now I was thinking about this with regard to you. Because <clears throat> the, uh, this summer, <clears throat> in the summer blitz, 145 of you 
I figured out, worked about 70,000 hours in seven cities across the U.S. You brought the gospel to the Jewish people. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. Let me say it on behalf of the one whose people it is. Because, you know, you could say, remember how this, this verse starts off, comfort ye my people? They're, they're God's people. It's his people. I mean, I could say, well, it's my people. It's really not my people in the sense that it's his people. And so on behalf of him, he says to you, thank you. Because you brought to his people. And it wasn't easy for you. The police kicked you out of seven cities and threatened to arrest you. Uh, you and one of the team endured being, at least one, being, endured being spit in the face. One of you had th water thrown into your face. And you were threatened to be shot. And you had two car accidents. One car was total. Four, four ambulances took off for, uh, for hospitals. You worked through record heat and humidity in places like Miami and Brooklyn and Philadelphia and Manhattan and Chicago. About 50 of you, or a little less, slept between pews and got staph infections for it in a church with just two bathrooms. You... <laughs> <laughs> you walked a lot. There was one casualty. It was too hard on his feet. And I got messages relayed back to me by, uh, by a pastor who said, tell Mr. Cantor, we're working real hard out here. <laughs> and, but you didn't give up. You didn't give up. And you, knew, you know why you didn't give up? You know why you were able to move through all of that? Because of verse 4. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ... There were the obstacles that blocked your way there were, from you going forward. There were the valley obstacles where you come and say, oh, it's a deep valley, and, and God just exalted those valleys so, you could, valleys so you could go straight across. There were the mountain obstacles where you said, how in the world am I going to get over to this? And God brought those mountains down. There were the paths that were crooked and rough, and God straightened them out and made plain so that you could go forward because the message is you weren't alone. You weren't alone out there. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who was also working, verse 4, for you. And because of that, you were able to knock on 800,000 doors and to encounter a half a million, 500,000 Jewish people and deliver 300,000 seeds of testimony DVDs and booklets into the... And, there's, and they're not finished yet. Some of them are still in the ground. And they'll come out. And all summer long, you comforted the Jewish people as you cried to them. You cried to them and you spoke comfortably to them. And you weren't alone. But you know what's interesting is that when you look in verse 3, that's you. That's the, the voice. You're like the voice. The voice of him that cries in the wilderness. And you were, Some of you thought, I sure was in a wilderness. But there were the voice. But then notice in verse 6. There's a second voice. There's another voice. This voice in verse 6 says, cry. Who's this second voice? That's not the voice of the prophet. That wasn't your voice. That was the voice of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in you, coaxing you along and saying, keep going, cry, cry. And then, like the prophet, he, said, he, he, he says to the voice, what shall I cry? Tell me what I'm supposed to say. And in this particular case, the Spirit of God said, you cry and you tell the people that, that they're like grass, 
that this, this world is not going to be their home, that it's only very temporary. All flesh is as grass. And that was what he was, he was led to say. But you had the voice, and that was a wonderful thing. Now, let's think about that. You know, that voice is, uh, is spoken of, when you look at the book of Romans, the book of Romans, there is the word spirit appears 22 times in the book of Romans, but 14 times, the majority of the time, it appears in one chapter, chapter 8. And that is the spirit chapter of the book of Romans. And so you could think about the book of Romans like you were John. There was only one of the apostles that put his head on the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ. They all had the opportunity to, but one ventured out, that's John, that he heard the heartbeat of God. And what happened, Romans chapter 8 is like him on, his, on, a, on, the, on the chest of the Lord Jesus Christ, hearing the heartbeat of God, and all these wonderful truths that came out of there. This is that, that about the Spirit of God. And as he emerges off of that pillow and comes to Romans chapter 9, what's the first thing he says? He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. In other words, the, the God is his witness. That's the other voice that Paul had that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. You would have thought that here Paul has gotten so close to the Lord Jesus Christ, so close to the Spirit of God, that maybe he would have come off and say, I'm so happy and here's the reason why. But he talks about a continual sorrow and a great heaviness in my heart. And then he says, for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. You say, why? Because that's the heart of God. Because that's the heart of God. God is broken for his people, the Jewish people. He is broken for them. And he's calling out, as he did to Isaiah, as he did to Paul, cry, comfort ye. Comfort ye, my people. Tell them the war's over. Your iniquities have been pardoned. Tell them that now is the day of salvation. Now is their day of salvation. And so it, it is just like a Paul as it was with Isaiah. Now you were out there and you were helped by God. I met one, uh, John, here earlier. And he said that, he told me, he said he was from Long Island. And he knew what it was to walk into a Hasidic community. And he thought to himself, my, he thought to himself, my colleagues don't have any idea what they're walking into. You know, but God helped you. That was the issue, God helped you. You know, there's a beautiful passage. It's Jacob's deathbed words. And it's a Genesis 49. And if you'd like to just turn to that, Genesis 49, because this is what happened to you this summer. Jacob here is going through, this is his last words. At the end of this chapter, you're going to read three events that take place. One is he pulls his feet up into the bed. The second that is that he gives up the ghost. And the third is that he's gathered to his people. But before that happens, this marvelous passage is here in which for the first time, among other things, Jacob's eyes are open so that he finally, for the first time in his life, though he'd been searching for all of his life, understands which one of his sons the Messiah was coming through. Because Judah was a sleeper. And that's when he said, Judah, thou art he. When he comes to Joseph, he says something beautiful. Look at in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. What a great description. 
You want to be a fruitful bough in, in life? Wouldn't it be nice to have that be on our tombstone, that we were a fruitful bough? And no matter what situation Joseph was in, whether he was a, whether he, a persecuted brother in his father's house, whether he was in the pit in the desert, whether he was being marched off with the Midianites, whether he was a, 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 a slave in, in Potiphar's house, whether he was uh, in the prison or whether he was prime minister, all the ups and downs and everything that happened to Joseph, none of those situations or circumstances ever changed Joseph. He was fruitful in every case. Why? He says he's a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the well. Then it says the archers sorely grieved at him and shot at him and hated him. But his bow, like a bow and arrow, his bow abode in strength. And the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel, even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep, lieth under, blessings of the breast and of the womb. You know, the picture here is of young Joseph with a big bow. He's just a little guy. He's just a little fellow. And he takes that bow and he could hardly even pick it up. It looks ridiculous to look at him, this big bow and little Joseph. But he stands up there and, he, and he, he holds that bow like you walking through those streets of Brooklyn, Miami, and Philadelphia, doing the best he can, Joseph doing the best he can. And he puts his hand on there and he's trying the best he can. And you know what the picture is? The picture is of the mighty God of Jacob saying to Joseph, don't move, little fella. Just hold that bow. He says, because I'm going to come over you like this. And my arms are going to be over your arms. And my hands are going to be on your hands. And we're going to hold that bow together. And you pull with all your might, little guy. Pull, Joseph, pull. Because I'm going to pull with you. And steady that bow as best you can. Because I'm going to steady it with you. And when we let go of that arrow, it's going to be accurate. Why? Because his hands were made strong by the mighty hands of God, of the God of Jacob. Tom, it always amazes me how passionately God loves lost Israel today. Even after all they've done to provoke him, why does God continue to love lost Jewish people? Well, the answer to that question cannot be found in the Jewish people. God made that very, very clear, that as far as he was concerned, he has said in the book of Deuteronomy that God does not love the Jewish people because they are a large number of people. In fact, he says they're small. He doesn't love the Jewish people because of their faithfulness. In fact, they're unfaithful. He doesn't love the Jewish people because of anything in them. But the reason why God continues to love the lost Jewish people is one word, God. God is the answer to that question. And that's what the prophet Jeremiah expressed so clearly in Jeremiah 31.3, where he said, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yes, I have loved thee with an everlasting love, therefore with loving kindness have I drawn thee. So what the Lord is saying is that I have loved thee, because I am everlasting, therefore my love is everlasting. In another place he said, because the Lord Jesus Christ does not change, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. 
that his promises don't change. This is something that we really love about God because he's unchangeable. And so when we see in God his unchanging, continuing love for lost Jewish people today, it gives us as believers a great sense of confidence in our God, a great sense of love, and a great sense of of assurance that if we do rely on him, that he will be not only a very present help, but a very everlasting help to us, just as his love to Israel is an everlasting love, as he said he has, an everlasting love for them. That's the reason why God continues to love lost Jewish people today, even though they have provoked him Nevertheless, because God is God, he is going to love them as he has in the past, as he has in the future, and we praise God for that aspect of his character. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you join us again tomorrow for another exciting message from my father, Tom Cantor. Today's message, as well as previous messages, are available for download at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 1-800-247-3051 for a copy of today's message. Once again, that number is 1-800-247-3051. You can learn more about Tom Cantor by going to israelrestoration.org. If you'd like to contact Tom Cantor, please send an email to friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook and receive a daily devotional thought from the Word of God. Thank you for listening today. Be sure to join us again tomorrow at this same time.